Welcome to Rethink Your Rules with Jenny Hobbs, MD, a fresh perspective on relationships, success, and happiness for high-achieving moms. Hey there, it's Jenny. Welcome back to another episode of Rethink Your Rules. This week, I'm going to be sharing another lesson that I have learned from parenting my kids. And what I want to talk about today is how I sort of happened upon the the quickest way to calm my kids down when they are anxious or angry or disappointed. So this might sound a little familiar because, first of all, I might have mentioned the story in passing as an example in one of the hours of podcasting I've done, but I can't actually remember where or if I did. And if I can't remember, I'm assuming most of you cannot remember <laughs> either, uh, or you might not know where to find it buried in in some other episode. So I thought it was worth revisiting as a standalone episode. I also think that this concept has a little bit of overlap with some of the things I've talked about before, like how to handle anger and meltdowns and tantrums. But this specifically, to me, felt a little different, and it was really drove home some some truths to me that have really stuck with me. So I hope the story helps you as well. So this happened maybe about a month or two into kindergarten. My daughter, as I've mentioned, had a lot of difficulty transitioning into kindergarten. I think it had to do with multiple things like the, you know, the COVID restrictions. So we couldn't go into the building with her. They're in a um, school that goes up to eighth grade. So that, you know, big kids were kind of intimidating and transitions are hard and masking and all the things. But for whatever reason, it had been a challenge. And we'd been going through this for several months. Actually, it must have been later. It was probably about halfway through the kindergarten year. Because by that point, we had arranged a special drop-off process where I took her to the front, separate from the big crowd of people, which seemed to be part of what was hard for her. And we met with an instructional assistant and we eased her into the day and they took her up to a quiet room to have some breakfast and get started and then join her class later when she was better regulated. And that had been working reasonably well, but every once in a while we'd have a a setback. So one of the days I dropped her off, uh, there was, it was just a rough day for whatever reason. She did not want to leave my side. She was not even angry, but she was just like, I'm not going in. I'm not leaving mom. She was really crying and clinging. And um, and as the the instructor, instructional assistant, and a couple of the other, you know, teachers that are around and principal, everyone was there. We were all trying our best to help her. And I have to say, we have this amazing school. People are really patient and kind and wonderful at dealing with the big emotions my kids have. I cannot imagine um, what life would have looked like for us if we were anywhere else. So these are really amazing educators and uh, assistants. And they were doing what any of us would do, which was, you know, trying to help her solve her problem. Like, what's, why is this a problem? Do you, are you hungry? Do you want, you know, what are you worried about? You know, maybe trying to say, okay, if she's missing mom, could she take my, you know, something from my purse or a picture of me or, uh, you know, figure out if there was something specific she was nervous about at school. We're all trying to solve this problem for her of her fear and anxiety about going into the building. Uh, And, you know, we're trying to give her these pep talks about how much fun it's going to be and get her excited about reading a book that she likes or try to just distract her, right? Like, I know a lot of parents and teachers do this. It's like they know kids have sort of a short memory, so they'll just get distracted. So trying to get her to talk about something silly or sing a song so she'd forget about how anxious she was about leaving me. Um, And we would, you know, 
there was a lot of rewards and consequences getting thrown out on my part and their part. You know, okay, like after school, if you do this, I'll do this for you or I'll do that for you. Or when you get upstairs, you can have this special treat or, you know, and trying to kind of reason with her about how, okay, like we know it's hard, but you know, once you get to school, you're going to feel fine. You're going to forget all about it. You know, you can't miss school. It's really important. You know, your teacher's going to miss you. Just trying all these logical things and all these very human impulses that we had because we did not want her to feel sad, right? So we wanted to fix this emotion that she was having. And on some level for all of us, right, we also wanted this emotion to go away quickly because it was affecting our day, right? I needed to get to work. They needed to get to onto what they were doing. It was disrupting other kids, right? And so it's important to notice that a lot of the time when a kid has a big emotion and it's like inconvenient and it's illogical, right? What we want to do and it's hurting them and it's making our day difficult. We as, you know, grown adults have our own emotional response to that, right? And we want it to go away. We want to fix it. We don't like to see them hurting. So we want to fix the situation. Oh, well, maybe if we just let her say goodbye to mom one more time, maybe if we just distract her, maybe if we just give her a reward that's, you know, makes it worthwhile. Maybe if we just explain it to her enough, right? Whatever the case may be. But remember, all of that is basically uh, predicated on the idea that the emotion that they're having is a problem, right? That it's a problem to feel bad. It's a problem to have a negative experience. It's a problem to feel sad and anxious when you leave your mom and go into a building, right? We're sort of saying like your emotion, we're not validating your emotion. We are trying to kind of skim over the emotion, make it go away because it's, it's a problem for us. It's a problem for them. And I think that it often does work for a lot of kids, particularly neurotypical kids. It actually works better for my son than it does for my daughter at times to just kind of fix whatever the problem is or distract him and then he forgets about it and it moves on. But what I think is interesting about that is technically the fact of the matter is there are really sad, difficult, anxious moments in life. And that's part of the deal. It's part of loving your parents. It's part of trying new things. And it's not actually a bad thing to have big emotions. Like the emotion itself is not actually the problem. It's we think it's inconvenient because we are on a time frame and we are, you know, our capitalist mindset and our structure and all these things we have to get done and we're so busy like we don't have room for that and also because we are uncomfortable with our own shame and guilt and sadness when our kids feel bad. So we we want to prevent them from feeling bad mostly because we can't handle our own emotions about feeling bad about them feeling bad, right? It's like when your kid is hurting, a big part of why that's a problem to you is because it hurts you and you don't want to sit with that negativity. But as we know, life is not always positive. There's a negative side to everything, right? Like loving someone means that if they break up with you or they leave you or they hurt you or they pass away, there's going to be a sad negative feeling. And you wouldn't want to not feel negative when that happens because then you would miss out on loving them. It's it's the corollary of loving them, right? And so for, for anybody in life, there are going to be negative moments like this, right? And actually, as a parent, one of our most important jobs, in my opinion, is to help our kids 
understand that. And when we work so hard to gloss over their emotion or try to rush them through it or try to pretend it's not there or solve for it by fixing a situation for them, we're kind of implicitly giving them this idea that the emotion is a problem and that's what they should do with their negative emotions. And I do think it appears to work and that's why people keep doing it. But what we're doing is then we create a generation of children who grow into adults who are still uncomfortable with their own emotions. And then when their kids have problems, they don't know how to deal with it because everyone tried to solve for their emotions by taking them away. And the cycle continues. And we have a very uh, emotionally immature society, which leads to all these problems where we're all avoiding our emotions, right? And so I say all that background to say in that moment, all of us incredibly well-meaning, loving caregivers, myself and all the teachers, were doing all this stuff for literally 30 to 45 minutes of this. And she, Nora, was not responding. She was getting more and more angry. She was digging her heels in more and more. Nothing was working. And it was getting to a point where I was like, you know, starting to get kind of angry and saying, okay, like, listen, I guess we're not going to be able to do this fun thing. Or I guess like you have to do this, whatever, like all these really like strongly worded things, which was only then making her feel worse. And I was kind of desperate. And Mind you, this is after I'd done all this coaching and learning all those concepts I kind of just summarized for you there. And so I literally just, after a minute, like about 45 minutes into this, I just like sighed and I was sitting on the bench with her and I said, is there anything that I could do to help this feel better, help you feel better about this? And she was like, no. (laughs) And I said, I think you're right. I don't think there's anything that I can do to make it better. This is just going to suck. It's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to go to school. It's hard for me to go to work. This is just going to suck. And I just sat there with her on that bench. And I resisted the urge to go follow that up with a lecture about we better just suck it up and do it or, you know, whatever, or to ask her to respond to me. I just let it hang there in the air for, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute. And I kid you not, this child who had been beside herself for 45 minutes, looked at me and then got up and went over to look at the fish tank, which we'd been trying to get her to go do to distract herself and calm down. She goes over to look at the fish tank without saying anything to me. And then after a minute or so, she turns around and says, okay, mom, bye. I love you. (laughs) And it was over. And I was so struck by that because I could have done that in the first place. And it probably wouldn't have happened quite as quickly if she hadn't had her 45 minutes of expressing all those emotions. But I think I could have made that process go by a lot faster if I had started off by deciding not to try to fix anything or do anything or give her a reward or consequence or logic or whatever. And if all of us, myself and the teachers, had just validated the emotion and let it be heard and aired out and run its course. Because remember, one of the truths that you know any therapist or coach will tell you is that what emotions want most is to be heard and validated, right? They need to be able to run their course. And when we try to solve for them or push them away or not give them their space and their time, they continue to crop back up. The analogy is like of like a beach ball when you're trying to hold it under the surface of the pool water, right? It just, you push it down, but it just is always going to pop back up. But you need to let that emotion run its course, be validated, be accepted, and then it loses a lot of its power, right? And that was basically what we were doing when I said, you're right, this sucks. 
you know, we were sort of accepting it and letting it run its course. And then she was able to decide for herself when she was ready to move on from it. And I've thought about this so much since then. And I've noticed this pattern, particularly with my daughter, where the more we try to offer a distraction or some kind of solution to make her feel better when she's in this place of feeling upset or anxious, it's almost like the worse, more emotional she gets, the more upset she gets, the longer it takes to recover. And of course, she can't at this point tell me all the thoughts that are leading to that. But I have a couple of theories that I think are pretty good. First of all, I think that when we're doing that, you know, if you imagine, if you have a grown up in your face who's like, here's this toy that you liked yesterday and here's this whatever, but you are still feeling this huge emotion that you can't deny, right? That's negative. So you can't bring yourself to smile and be happy and pretend like everything's fine. But this grown up is in your face and you can tell that they really want you to be fine. They really want you to smile because that'll make them feel better. It'll move everyone's day along, right? So now you're kind of feeling worse. You have another negative emotion, which is like guilt because you've this people pleaser and you wants to please this grown up and you know it makes sense, but then that feels very inauthentic to you because you still have this big emotion that hasn't been heard, right? And so now you're kind of even feeling worse. Because in addition to having to process the initial disappointment or anxiety, now you have to process the shame and guilt because you're displeasing this grown-up that you love and you would like to be able to please them. And that doesn't feel very good. So now you've got more negative emotions. So it's even harder to snap out of it, right? Those big emotions become bigger. So I really think that happens a lot for my daughter. And I think one of the reasons it's more common with her than my son, this is my other theory, is that I think that girls and women tend to have a much stronger natural urge to please other people. And I don't know whether it's nature or nurture or what, right? But I think my daughter cares a lot more about pleasing people and doing what the right thing is and feeling like she's responding to the attempts that grownups have to make her happy. Whereas my son's kind of like, I don't really care about what other people think so much. He just has his emotions and when he's done, he's done, right? But my daughter, now she might be done with the first emotion, but now she has to like pile on this guilt and shame about how she couldn't please them. And now they're frustrated and whatever. Um, and so I think that's a good point to remember too, is like whenever a kid has a big emotion, right. And then we start in with what our human nature is, which is like to lecture them and explain to them why it's wrong and maybe give them a reward or a consequence and all these things. Right. And they can't do it. Right. We've basically now added more negative emotion for them. Now they feel like a failure. Now they have to say that they were wrong or apologize or pay consequences, right? And so now we've just piled on another negative emotion for them to process. And all of that makes it much harder for them to move on versus if we backpedal on all those very normal urges that we have to solve it and convince them and lecture them and whatever else. If we backpedal on all that and we just allowed their original emotion to be there and to be okay, and we validated it, right, we might be able to bypass a lot of that secondary stuff that comes up that makes this thing drag on and on and on. It becomes an issue of shame, and then they've made poor choices, and then they have to feel bad for those poor choices, right? And the other great thing about this that I found is it's so much less work than all that other stuff. If we can remember to do it, which is the challenge, because I'll tell you, I can give you this whole, you know podcast episode. I've been thinking about this for over a year now, and I still find myself falling into this trap in the moment of doing rewards and consequences and lectures and trying to like 
solve their problem for them. You know, as soon as they're sad, oh, can I get you this other food so you won't be so mad? Can I take the, take this to school so you're not disappointed, right? Like, I'm always trying to solve their problem because I'm their mom and I want to make their life better. It's just an, a natural knee-jerk reaction. But if I can slow down and remember that sometimes it's better to just say, gosh, I'm really sorry, and then model for them how to, like, validate and live through their negative emotion – right? If I can remember that, it's so much easier. It doesn't require me to do, it doesn't require me to go and creatively solve the problem for them. It doesn't require me to think of like a great distraction. It doesn't require me to debate them. It literally just requires me to be a human being who sits on that bench next to them and says, you're right, this sucks. And lets the space be there and lets the pause be there and genuinely sits with them in that moment so much easier than all that other stuff, right? And then they often, at that point, once the emotion comes down, then they can tap into their more logical, higher brain, right? And then they can often solve the problem for themselves better. But you got to help them get the emotion out of the way first. And you can't do that by pushing it away or trying to solve for it. The only way you get that emotion out of the way is literally by sitting with them and validating it 100%. And I've seen this in so many, I'm sure I've given this example too, when I first learned this lesson, when my son was three and his banana broke, right? And it was just like the whole world fell apart. And again, it was just the matter of like, it was super simple to be like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like, I hate it when my food isn't right too. Versus if I had started this whole back and forth with him debating the logic of whether the banana was really ruined, then we would have just had this whole pile up of other emotions and debate and whatever. And we wouldn't have been able to just acknowledge the the sadness that is part of life and move on, right? So, and remember, you know, these lessons that I (laughs) tell you, they make a lot of sense when we think of our kids. But this is true for everyone in your life, right? So if someone is acting in a way that absolutely makes, this is just out of character or it's out of proportion or it's just really unacceptable, remember, that's coming from their emotions, even if they don't realize it. It's not coming from logic. And so, if you can start by validating their emotion, you know, and truly sit with that emotion for a minute, often they will help you solve that problem going forward. And it'll be in a collaborative way. But if you forget that step with the emotions and you start in on the logical debate and rewards and, you know, consequences for that bad behavior and trying to solve for it and fix all their problems for them, that doesn't work because that is all bypassing the emotion that needs to be felt and acknowledged and heard, right? And so you can take this with anyone. Feelings first logic comes later. That is what you got to do with every person. And it works so much better. And it's so much less for you to do because you're really just being with them in that moment and responding to them. And it's hard. Like I said, I'm not perfect at it. Uh, But try it out. And the last thing I wanted to say that I love about this is that even if you're like me and you spend 45 minutes going down this path with your kid and they're just getting more and more and more and more upset, and then you remember it like I did, it still works so well. If you just stop fighting it and sit with them in that moment, let the emotion get dealt with, it's okay. So you don't have to be perfect either. You don't have to sort it all out from the beginning. We're all human. We're going to have those moments where we want to solve everything for our kids. But if it just doesn't seem like it's working, nothing is working, you can just take a deep breath and try this technique and it will still work. So in the moment, all you have to remember is drop the logic. Don't try to solve it. Be like, okay. It's feelings first. This is from an emotion. What might the emotion be? If you know what it is, you can say, it makes sense you feel angry, right? If you agree, you can say, I hate it when this happens too, right? You can find a way to relate. And if you can't tell what the emotion is, or you can't tell why it's there, or you can't find a way to really agree with you, you can always say, like, it makes sense 
that you're feeling this way, I'm here. Or, I'm sorry, this sucks. I'm sorry, you're sad. It seems like maybe you're sad, right? Just something like that to name the emotion and let them expand if they want. Leave some silence there and see what happens. You might be surprised. And I'm telling you, it's so much easier. And I think you'll be surprised at how your kids respond. I am always surprised at how quickly they soften and calm down after this. And it's not perfect. It's not all roses. There's still a lot of, you know, emotions, but I'm always surprised at how honest they are with me and the really insightful things they share about what's going on with them. And it also creates this sense of connection over time to where they start to be more honest with me about their emotions in other situations as well. And in a weird way, it's these moments that felt so difficult and painful and exhausting at the time that have now turned into some of my most treasured and positive parenting memories because we were able to get to this point of such connection and honesty and authenticity. And I got this understanding of my kids that has helped me moving forward to be a better mom to them and to show up better. And it's also helped them to be more open with me. And so it's all building on itself over the last few years to making my entire experience in my home so much more enjoyable and calm. And again, it doesn't mean we don't have drama or outbursts or problems. It's just that I now am equipped so much better to handle them. And I've also taken those skills to handling emotional moments at work with my spouse. And I've even translated this into improving how I interact with myself and growing my own self-confidence and handling my own big emotions that come up. So that is why I'm here sharing this with you. If you want to find a way to improve your relationships at home, at work, with yourself, if you feel like you're not enjoying life, you're feeling stuck, not sure why, I can teach you skills like this. I can help you unpack and unravel what's going on and then build up strategies that will continue to serve you over and over throughout the rest of your life. Set up a consult call. It doesn't have to be big and scary, a lifelong decision. It's one decision. You click through, you book the appointment, we hop on the phone, you tell me all the things, and then I help you sort through them and let you know how I can help you. I hope you have an amazing weekend, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Rethink Your Rules with Jenny Hobbs, MD. Would you like to learn more about how to apply this to your own life through personalized coaching with Jenny? Visit us on the web at jennyhobbsmd.com to schedule a free consultation. If you found value in what you heard today, please consider subscribing to the podcast and giving us a five-star rating so we can reach even more women like you.